everybody. My name is Friederike Lutke, and I'm in the linguistics department. Um, I work on multilingualism in Africa. Africa is big, so tiny little <laughs> <laughs> area in West Africa, but I'm interested in all things multilingual, especially in Africa. And so it's a great pleasure um, to be able to share this talk um, organized by the Center for African Studies at Source. And the presenter is Bulungeni uh, Madiba, big name. From UCT, yeah. University of Cape Town, which is kind of the place where things are happening. <laughs> uh, if you follow a little bit um, the events that are unfolding in South Africa, roads, city of roads taken down, student protests against fees, but also against colonial structures at the university. And I guess the languages of knowledge uh, are also a big part of this political process. And um, I'm always struck when we look at multilingual education of how often it is actually based on several monolingualisms you know, just put together. And so translanguaging as an alternative strategy, I think, is really promising, but at the same time transcends so many notions of languages that we take for granted, like that, you know, when they're used in educational context, there's a standard language culture that is reinforced by the institution, um, for instance. So I'm really looking forward to this talk uh, on translanguaging in South African universities. And now the floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Lipke, for uh, the brief introduction. Th thank you very much also for, to the Center of African Studies for giving me this opportunity to have this seminar. It was at a very brief notice, a very short notice. Mm -hmm. and so, but so I'm very much grateful for all the people who, 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 who have come to, to attend. So I, I really appreciate that. So it's, I know some people will be leaving after an hour, that's what I was told. So I will, it's a bit long, but I will, maybe some of the things I can just say, comment on them and just skip, so that if there's no, time. No, take your time to talk. Do you think so? Okay. Yeah. We'll see how hopefully you won't talk for longer than an hour. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of my base yeah, assumption, yeah. that we have time for a discussion. Yes, okay, okay. And then if people cannot make it. Okay, the they can still, okay. They can follow yeah, no, th thank you very much for, for, for that. Yeah, will. So, as you can see, my, my, my topic is uh, on translanguaging, uh, which is, uh, uh, I think it's a new topic at the moment, but uh, a study literature shows we have really reached what we can call a multilingual a translanguaging term, like we did with a multilingual, that you find translanguaging now, it's no longer just confined from the UK, where it originated. It's something that is now expanding. And South Africa, uh, too, there are studies now that are emerging, although theoretically still thin, but there are quite a number of studies and practices in the area of pedagogy where translanguaging has been uh, uh, <coughs> practiced. So I will really talk facing mainly about uh, on, 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 on South Africa, mm -hmm. but focusing specifically on the University of, uh, of Cape Town, where, where I come from. So if I give you just an overview of uh, South Africa, South Africa has got, uh, at the moment, we've got 26 public universities, and uh, then the participation rate in university, why I'm saying this because this is pedagogy stuff, 
it's a very, still very low compared to developed countries, 16.3%. Normally, developed countries are about 45, I think, participation rate in higher education. So it's still very, very low. And the plan, of course, of the National Development Plan is that by 2030, at least our participation rate in higher education should go to, at least increase to 25%, which will still be relatively low in comparing to other countries. So UCT, it's, it's one of the oldest universities that was established long ago in 1829. Uh, it was established at a place now where it has been built now. This is the piece of land which was donated to, to by, by Sister John Rose. Sister John Rose was one of the mining uh, uh, magnate, men who made money, was from the UK. He made money from mining and so on. And of course, there are lots of atrocities that are said about how he got his wealth and so on. But one good thing that he did, he donated a piece of land to UCT and I think some other investment that UCT received. And on the basis of that, UCT uh, built a statue for him to honor his contribution. So you'll hear a bit more about him later when I talk about the student revolution, hashtag students revolution. Yeah. So, but what is the, the situation now? Uh, though UCT is a historical English university, you see in South Africa, universities were divided into during apartheid, that was before 1994, into historical white universities, black universities, mixed race universities, what we call as colored in South Africa. So they were, universities were divided according to that. And blacks were not allowed access to the white, so-called white universities. And even among the white universities, there was a division between the uh, English white universities and Africans white universities. Africans white universities is a, is a variety of Dutch, in as well Dutch. Dutch language. So there were those divisions. So at the moment, since 1994, there's been big change. And uh, well, UCT, for example, has got over 50% of students are, are black, are non-mother tongue speakers of, of English. So it's, it's racially, it's really there. But these changes that was brought about by uh, democratic changes has brought so many other challenges. First, the issue of language is a problem. It's no longer really just university, UCT is just now, a English medium university in name. And then, because the majority of people don't speak English as a first language. And in fact, if you go to the passages, you won't hear that much of English. We hear people talking a variety of, 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 of languages which they bring to university. Then the second thing brought the issue of transformation. You know, the issue of transformation changing. I think the concept like, you know, you hear about decolonization, you know, we need a new class, all those things. And of course, the, sec the third challenge is the issue of uh, throughputs, you know, pass rates that are not really as, uh, as desired. So on the issue of transformation, this brings me, I think this is where to start. You know, the, the, the South Africa, uh, in the past few, few, few weeks, uh, we have been really experiencing a huge student revolution. Uh, and uh, this revolution, which is, is called a mis Okay. Okay. So this is what students was called in students hashtag uh, revolution. Mm -hmm. Then you have a lot of students' movements where real students were pulling things down, you know. And the first thing to pull down was uh, the Street Road stage, which I, I mentioned to you that it was a building on Street Road. You can see it here being removed. You know, by 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 by, by scaffold, and this is okay the movement. And then we have got fees must fall, which also happened, which I think the fees has fallen. The president acceded to the demand, 
fees are not going up for the whole of 2016. Then we've got open Stellenbosch, which also, I think Stellenbosch is open now, because Africans, I think, has fallen. You know, English seems to be taking over. So all this uh, really, you know, are those kind of uh, transformation, but language is at the center of, of, of all those changes. So now, because I'm talking about the language, there, there is really a problem with, with languages, especially in universities like UCT. Although historically, you know, there was no problem, it was mainly English-speaking students, but now with 50% students who are non-mother tongues because of English, language is becoming a, a serious problem. So I'll just quickly read the first part of uh, this, 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 uh, this, uh, this, this uh, article published by one of our students, I think it's two, three years back at university. So he said here, in South Africa, approximately 50% of students speak English at home. At UCT, unlike other universities in the Western Cape, English is the only medium of instruction. This seems like a contradiction, but does that mean there are problems with language in the classroom at UCT? The short answer is yes. Research has shown that in some undergraduate degrees at UCT, there is a 20% discrepancy in the pass rate between English first language and second language students. Clearly something is wrong. I always thought South Africans were highly multilingual. South Africa is, according to the number of official languages at least, the most multilingual society in the world. The trouble is that multilingualism in conversation and academia are two different things. Imagine this scenario. You come from a community in South Africa where English is not the first language. You matriculate from a previously disadvantaged school where English is taught as a second language, or teachers use home language to make up for your or, or, or their difficulties with English. Your home language is simply used as a conversational tool for explanation, not in an academic sense. Through hard work and discipline, just like any other student, you do well in metric and accepted at UCT. It is, the problem is that you are going to pitch up for the first week of lecturers with a <coughs> proficiency in academic English. It is not as if you can raise your hand and ask your lecturer to explain Michelle theories of power in your home language. The question is why not? Why is it that students at South African premier universities have so little access to education in their home language? Which I think, I mean, you know, this is a very, very uh, fortunate question that is raised. Why universities like UCT, which is highly rated number one in the continent, cannot really offer teaching in the different languages of students? So it's a very, very, quite, I won't read further what he says, but I think that is the question. So, the, like I said, this is the main question that he, he raised. Why really is that we cannot, as a premier university, teach? So the question reflects complexity of language, uh, the language problem in historically white universities. 21 years into democracy, South African universities have not made adequate progress in terms of really in promoting multi multilingualism. And, as I've said, I mean, you know, this is the problem with this is that you, you find this is, this is linked to many, this, this, beside the student proficiency, but the issue of throughput is very, very critical despite transformation. If you look at the retention rate in South African, rate, I mean, first, second year in terms of graduation rate, we've got very high retention rate, that's second 70%, but 44% of this is what we retain, only 44%. Complete three-year degree after five years. The normal period for South Africa is three years, not uh, not five years. So only 44 percent complete after five years, which creates a problem. Then we've got a very high drop uh, drop out rate. Fifteen thousand students just disappear from the system. Then the average 
graduation rate is 17%. That was in 2012, showing the, in 2017%. So that is the average graduation rate of students within the normal period of three years. So if you look at it now, you will see that uh, definitely the argument that I'm posing is that uh, the, it, 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 is that it's, it, if you look at this, English-only education, it's not really working, working for us. Therefore, there is really a need for some alternative uh, uh, pedagogic uh, models that we need to. English only, English is unassailable, it's very important, but the reality of our situation is that it's not really attainable to most of our students. So hence the need for some uh, alternative pedagogic model. So the aim of this the discussion, as I said, is to really look at uh, translanguaging as an alternative pedagogic model and see how that can make a, a difference. So the reason why I'm proposing this, you know, it's a first, it's not just based, based on the practical problems that I've raised, practical problem of transformation, practical problems of uh, pedagogy, of uh, 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 graduation throughput, not really effective learning. So that is one, those are practical problems. But beside that, we also in South Africa have uh, language policy frameworks, which require that universities should adopt an alternative pedagogic framework. So those framework, the first one, as you can see, is our constitution. We, we have the, 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 the language policy for higher education. We have the university language policies. I'll just touch quickly on these ones so that you have a bit of a, a better background. So our constitution clearly, you know, designate an 11 official language policy. So we have 11 official languages for, for the country. And these are the names of, uh, of the languages. Nine of these are indigenous, then two are English, and then Africans, which is Dutch variety. So of course I know this, the policy is criticized that these are really invented languages. And not, uh, nobody speaks really any of these. These are just standard forms that are not, nobody speaks them. People speak varieties of each of those languages. They are invented languages. But historically, I think we have those. Uh, kind of uh, codes that we are working with, you know. So what do we do with them, but we do have them. So then the constitution also say everyone has the right to receive education in the language of their choice. But again, there are all these other escape phrases where it is repeatable, where it's practicable, where the need of address. So still, it's not uh, although the constitution is there, it shows us what, but it's non-committal. It just say where it's practicable, but where what do we mean when it's where it's practicable. Then we have the second document, which is uh, the language policy for higher education, adopted in 2002. So this policy also is also the aim of this document is to ensure the simultaneous development of multilingual environment in which all our languages are developed as academic, scientific language, while at the same time ensuring that existing language instruction do not serve as a barrier to access and success. So again, this is very, you know, it's very idealistic. How do you use this? There's no clear model to do that, but it gives us a kind of a framework. Now, it goes on giving all the provisions, which I won't really just go into, which I won't go into them. That is the policy for higher education, that we need at the moment, we need to use English and Africans for now, but then develop other African languages later to, to be used. That we definitely need to develop dictionaries and so on for other languages to be used. And then we need to develop other strategies to develop proficiency in, in other languages. So these are all policy aspirations that are there in the document. The question is really, is that policy working for us? Is that uh, really helping us? So it's 
I, my argument that I've published in some of the papers on language policy when reviewing this policy is that it's not really helping, but one thing that I agree with the policy is that it opens up spaces, you know, for, for any kind of innovative uh, framework that one can come up with. There is an open space for that. And besides that, the effect of this is the universal language policies, which the policy brought about. It, the language policy for higher education requires that each university must develop a language policy in which they show how multilingualism will be promoted. Although it doesn't explain, describe what multilingualism, what kind of, of pedagogy is there, but it requires that. Now, what universities have done in the past uh, uh, 20 years, I mean, from a few years, universities have developed their language policies, as you can see. University of Cape Town has said we will use English, Africans, and Estrosa as our official languages. Then University of Rose, which is also a English university, English, Africans, and Estrosa. That's also a English university. So these are choices that universities have made. Then you've got universities like University of South Africa, you know, which is UNISA here, you know, which says no, we will use English, Africans, and all the nine indigenous languages, mm -hmm. all of them, because it's a big university. It has got 300 and something. That I think they are now close to 400,000 students. So it's a massive, quite massive, it's an open university. So they say they can cater for all the other, other languages. So what you can see from here is that the language policy for higher education has, of course, created the need for university language policies, which of all these policies are not really, you know, none of them is promising to cater for all the languages, just taking a few of them. And these policies are completely, uh, 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 it's not really in, in, in line with the language, uh, the, the, the languages of students within those premises. There are many students who speak various languages. UCT, our students speak 51 languages. They come from 101 countries. So three-language formula doesn't work. It's just there for formality. It doesn't help much. So what we have witnessed is that although we've got all these policies, really the policies have never, they remain unchanged. And in fact, they have, the Minister of Education mentioned this. I think next week the, the Department of Higher Education is having another big conference to look at the whole policy of uh, language issue of language policy. There's not much, much progress. So, the question that arises from all this, where I think there is a really practical problem, where we are all stuck, it's one thing to talk about multilingual education, but it's another thing to come up with really concrete models which can be implemented. So if you look in literature, you find, I know it's not only our problem in South Africa. I think, I mean, globally, people have been engaging with a whole lot of models that can be used to, 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 to implement multilingual education. And they are, this, I just listed them, I draw this from, from, from Black Ledge at uh, 2014. That, you know, there are others who are saying you know, heteroglossia is the issue, code meshing. Kanakaraja has just written a book on that. Uh, polylingualism, you know, Jackson who said that. Flexible bilingualism, Chris and, and, and Black Ledge, you know, I was with them two months back there. It, you know. So the, now there is translanguaging which I want to talk about. So there's a whole lot of, of models. So in South African situation also, universities are coming up with many different models. There are historical African universities that are using classroom interpreting, you know, where there's interpreting from Africans, then students put on the gadgets and the lectures in Africans, then the interpreter is interpreting in English. So that is working to a certain extent. Even Stellenbosch, I think, is piloting that if they can have interpreting, classroom interpreting. So there is that. So there are universities that are using uh, translation, like University of South Africa that I've mentioned. 
it's translating 24, 24 of its courses into all the nine, the 10 languages, from English to 10 languages. So it's a huge translation project which they are using. Now we are using various, various strategies to accommodate that. So what I'm saying, the space where we are now, is really trying to find out what are practical models that can really be effective in, in, in teaching and learning in multilingual University of South Africa, which is quite complex. So as I said, I will definitely focus on, on translanguaging, which uh, I am really exploring at the University of Cape Town and see how it can really work, translanguaging pedagogy. So the term itself, I don't know really when I'm here because it originated in the UK. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a bit of a waste of time to, <laughs> to try to, to explain. Some of them are you know, already using it in your, in your own studies. It's, uh, it's amazing that uh, the term really originated from, from, from here. I mean, it, from, 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 from Wales. It was really, the term was developed by Chen, first used by Chen Williams. Oh, was that simple? It was a very simple, simple concept that, you know, observing in a country like Welsh, in Wales, where there's Welsh and English, you can make an input in one language, for example, in English. I can teach now in English, in, in Welsh, but then the output, you can go and write. The teaching can be in one language, the writing can be another language, the reading can be another language, the writing can be another language, and which I think, this is all multilingual countries. I think that typically that practice is common, where one language is used for certain <coughs> activities, another language is for certain activities. So this notion to me that I can identify, I think this is, where, this is what brought me to where I am. I think my education depended much on the input of through one language, the output through the other language. So this practice is, although the concept is new to us, it's definitely an old practice to, 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 to our situation. But it was not recognized as a pedagogy. It was not really accepted. Teachers smuggled it into the classroom. Not used, it was not formally supported, not even allowed. You know, sometimes teachers, I mean themselves, we, we had that student that, you know, you will be punished for trying not to speak the, the correct language. But the practice itself it was wide now. So, I think since this term has been really has been has, has, has been introduced, I, I know you know Chen, Chen Williams introduced this term, then Baker Baker took up the term and focusing much on the issue of academic language. You know how really translanguaging can be useful in developing academic language proficiency of students, which is very 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 relevant to us. And then you have uh, Olivia Garcia who took up the term and now she also extended it. Looking at uh, not just the 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 the, 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 the classroom practices and say, look, in fact, this is what is actually happening outside the classroom. If you go to Spanish English families, Spanish families, you see, one input, one can open a TV and talk. I mean, on the phone in Spanish, and then another talk to the father in English, and then talk to the friend in another. So, say, these are practices that really you see. And again, those practices are not new to us in South Africa. I mean, I I speak nine languages. Uh, I think nearly all the official languages of South Africa. So if you each speak of what I can move between, <laughs> between languages and depending who is there, I mean, those varieties. And so I think the practice is not, but she extended it really to look at it, just to go just beyond to that is something that is broader. And then, of course, I mean, the, the way it was working was really uh, also working hard on it, bringing other aspects of, uh, of uh, languaging into it, elaborating the scope of that. So, so I, I basically, really, I say it's 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 based on the sticks, the, the language practices as as, as as a starting point, which we have that that uh, you know we don't have separate languages, because this is what used to be when you know people believe that we have separate languages, you know this monolingual approach, 
multilingualism, uh, bilingualism, all those concepts were understood within the framework that uh, we're dealing with separate languages here. That language is a theme. Language is a, something that you can, it's a concrete thing, it's a noun, you know? So thingifying all those things. So I think now that our understanding, which is really, I think it's, a, it's making language more attractive, is that we are beginning to move away from those notions. That really language is, a, we don't have separate languages, we really have one linguistic system from where we draw features. Because I used to wonder, if I'm speaking all these 11 languages, now, do I think when I want to it? And it doesn't work that way, you know? I, I don't have big brains. My brain is not enlarging. <laughs> My brain size has never increased. It's a, and I don't have headache. You know? the, those languages don't cause a headache to me. I, that they just come, is it? So in other words, I'm drawing from really common linguistic resource, and then I can select features depending. Like I'm here, so I think my mind is, uh, I'm in a very monolingual mode now. And uh, <laughs> so my output is more, but I'm drawing from, my language is coming in some of the concepts. I mean, something is happening under, 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 under ground, you know, so. Yeah. So again, I think what, like I said, I've already mentioned the issue that you're focusing on action, not practice. It's language is what we do. It's not really, you know, it's not like uh, something that is there. It's not like something that is ready-made. It comes when we have to use it. So those concepts are well, are well, are well, are well uh, documented. So I think the concept that I find it also very useful for me is the concept of, of, of languaging. Because why this is very key to us. One of the problems that was uh, raised, why black students are not really performing well, like their white, white counterparts, it's language, but again, an aspect of pedagogy in that is that uh, most of the black students don't engage, they don't speak. You know, I think there is this accusation that the professors will tell you, but how do black students learn? You know, they sit at the back, they keep quiet from the beginning of the lesson to the end. You never know what they understand, you never know if they don't know, they don't talk, they don't say anything. So that means they're not really making any, any meaning. Other things suffer in the process. Issues of, uh, you know, that means English is creating some subjectivities, you know, where they can look at themselves and position themselves in a different way as compared to the native speakers of other. We do have studies that, if I have time, I was going to show you, where we have taken, where we've really asked students to write their histories, language histories, and their experiences at UCT. And one of them really is that they find themselves much of the time marginalized. They say we keep there, we sit as if we were nothing between our ears. You know, we can't have brains, but we know that we know everything. But we can't open our mouth because when we open our mouth, we don't know whether what will come out of our mouth is exactly what we wanted to say. You know, so they keep quiet. So this was one of the issues that really motivated me to to do the studies. So again, now where we are, I think Leeway and Kasha in the previous book, they also mentioned the issue of creativity. You know, and and criticality. That one thing that, you know, the advantage of translanguaging is that it's not just really uh, uh, assistance for languaging, but also in terms of creativity. Creativity here to me, it must also imply linguistic creativity, you know, the ability to manipulate their language systems in a way that could be useful for them. It could mean also, I mean, you know, of cognitive strategies that they are bringing. It can also mean interactive strategies. The time taking, all the strategies which they, they use are very, very key, which they use in, in translanguaging. You know, so 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 it is it, very key, and then issues of criticality. I mean, you know, where definitely they question things. You know, they don't agree, they disagree. They can express their views and so on, so on. So I think to me, I'm just giving some of the basic tenets, things that I think that would be very useful to me. And of course, finally, like the other thing that I said, issues of agency. Students taking, not memorizing. You know, taking agency of their own learning. 
and uh, and of course, I mean, using their own discourse. I mean, that the discussive practices which they think is important. So this is basically, I mean, I'm just giving you an overview of uh, what translanguaging to me. So simply to me is that translanguaging in our context is really allows our students to be able to engage, to be able to take agency of their languages, to be able to draw from their resource, linguistic resources which they bring. And some of them are multilingual. In that paper that I'm talking about that we're publishing from the histories, that will tell you I've got five languages. I speak six languages. I, I can draw all these languages. So they've got a huge resource, linguistic resources, which they can pull from. So they can pull from the structures, they can pull from the systems, but they can move between those things. So this, this, this is, of course, I mean, that is what, what's motivated me. Because my assumption is supposed that my lingual students at UCT can draw from different languages. So at UCT, we, I introduced the translanguaging. First, there are two parts. There is a translanguaging in learning other languages. There are students who are in disciplines like medicine. In the health sciences faculty, no students can complete a degree without finishing, a, without doing a, 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 a closer in Africans. If you're a doctor, you can't be a doctor to qualify as a doctor without having six semesters from our university in those languages. So that is one part. I think Chinos has written a lot about translanguaging. Uh, and, 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 and learning additional languages, you know. She is, there's a book that is just recently, recently published on there. So, so we have that is going on, but my special focus is really what happens at the cost, cost level. You know, what, how, how can we implement translanguaging pedagogy? And of course, the focus I said is academic, academic literacy courses. We also have multilingual education courses that are around. So the starting point to me is to look at it because the biggest problem was that this is a useful concept, but where is the space for it? It's a, in the classroom, it's clear, although universities say we are multilingual, but the classroom space at the moment, English primary and English medium university, so the space there is not there. But my argument is that no, there is a space in all these levels. We need to find translanguaging pedagogy spaces. The spaces teaching X in the classroom, and the space that we opened here was um, the, 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 the tutorials. In most of our courses, we've got tutors, and the tutorials are very many. So I say, no, this is a space there. So we're using tutorials for, 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 for experimenting with, 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 with translanguaging. And then, again, the other area that I argued is that if you look at the study acts, technology allows us to have resources online, online resources, where languages can be used in a more fluid way, in a more intermingling way, rather than more separated. So, so that also helps us. We have developed an online environment, we call it VULA, which means open, online uh, learning environment, where we are also doing that. Now, writing X, we've got a writing center, and I've been engaging with a, with a, a writing consultant, how they can really approach writing as a process, not as a product. You know, because product just mean I want you to write this, but a process, writing as a process has a space there where you can really engage students' first languages and so on. So that is something that I've, last year I had some sessions with the writing consultants on how that can be done. Kana Karaja has, has written a lot, I mean, just written a you're using translanguaging practices, which really deals with the writing systems. In the, in the, then institutional context, we really have, you know, if you look at the UCT logo there, you will see it's surrounded by three languages. That's like a, it's a English and uh, Africans and, uh, and, 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 and East Coast. 
So the stationaries, everything, the environment now is changing and so on. So at the institution level, I mean, you find a lot of those practices that are going on. We have students who have launched their journal now, their own magazine, which is called Venec. That language says, I write what I like. You write with any language. One page can have five languages. They shouldn't write whichever language, whether Swahili, whatever language that you speak, you are allowed to write something on it there. You know? And that is an innovation that is coming from students themselves. We tried to get university to change their blog, their, their magazine, money paper, into multilingualism. Students at university say, no, it's not feasible. But students just did from bottom up. They're writing whatever they like in whatever language. Even Sosita, they've got articles which they use Sosita in, in, in that. So you see, trans languaging had its own uh, practice here. So what I want to talk about is a, it's a, it's a, the, 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 the multilingual concept literacy project, which we are using for that space that I've mentioned on, on tutorials. Because I'm trying to find is a, the biggest challenge that uh, trans languaging is facing at the moment is that uh, it is a concept that is very useful. But its pedagogic aspect, it has not yet demonstrated the pedagogic aspect of it, you know, what kind of pedagogy that should be adopted. Kana Karaja has raised a number of questions. If we, we have to teach it, what kind of strategies can we teach? If we have to teach it to a teacher training uh, course, how do you teach? And my challenge at UC University, because I coordinate the university language policy, if I have to in, uh, advise professors to implement multilingualism, what kind of translanguaging strategies should they follow? And uh, because of that, I, I've launched a concept literacy project, which is simple, I mean, you know, teaching students reading, understanding, and using learning for the other specific language words, how can they use the language of the discipline, and the key concept, and so on. So this, this, this project, I mean, it's, it's doing very well. We are introducing it to various, we started with the economics, you know, department of the which students were doing economics one, and then it's now in social humanities. We are doing quite a lot of it. The focus is on concept because the challenges here, the lectures will tell you, our students, when we talk to them, they will tell you that the difficulty thing in the learning process is concepts. And uh, you ask them, do you understand the concept? They say, yes, we do understand the concepts, but we don't get them. Now I say, now what is it? Don't we don't get them. See, they understand, but they don't get. <laughs> so they want to find what do these students mean when they say they do understand, but they don't get them. Mm -hmm. so, so if you look at the work written by Bakhtin, which is very, very on heteroglossal stuff and so on, he really speaks very well about this kind of way that, you know, it's one thing to understand. It's one thing to take words and own them and make them your own property so that you can configure them produce them, use them in the manner that you want, whenever you want them. But it's another thing just to learn the words and just leave them there. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, this, this, this is exactly what I just want to quickly go to, what Vygotsky said. He said the road leading from initial familiarity with a new concept to the moment when the word and the concept become the child's property <laughs> is a complex internal psychological process. Although it was focused on psychological, I would also say it's also a complex social, <laughs> social, social, social process. It's not just you know psychological. It's also a social process to be socialized into the new concept and so on. You know. So as we see, this is <coughs> the kind of uh, glossaries that we are having. You can see the statistics are there. We are looking at law. We are looking at economics, physics. We are looking at all of this. And you see, we are, want to draw. It's a very, very complex kind of systems that if we were thinking of really trans in this case, 
it will be horizontal, horizontal in the sense that you can have disciplines, you know, somewhere, somewhere working together. You can have, it can be vertical because it's land involves some home language resources which students brings. It can also bring the academic language resources. Then again, the, 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 at the highest level, the disciplines of uh, subject discipline of the, the, the language. So in, in this project that I want to, 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 to just to show you how, just example how it has worked for us, we, 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 we selected groups in economics, I selected certain terms, certain key concepts, which needs to, we need to discuss. And at that time, of course, when I started with the project, I was not yet really introduced to translanguaging. I was working with another model, complementary language, com complementarity, language complementarity, uh, complementarity language use approach, which deals with language. I borrowed that model, I got that model from India, where the languages can work together. But then, you know, you're not dealing with language. It's not language there, you're dealing with people. It's not language that are helping. It's, a, it's human beings who want to make meaning and drawing from different linguistic resources, not languages helping each other. And that's why I think, I mean, you remember the work on code switching. That's where there was criticism, that the focus is much on, on languages, on the codes themselves, not on what people do with codes. So, that mode, when I started the project, so I wanted to separate, ask them now, get group students who speak Estosa, then a group of students who speak Fender, and then in those tutorials, I get the, the tutors to assist me. Then we select key concepts that were given to me by like, economic lecturers, and then to discuss with the students. So what we did with those, we have uh, several tutorials. First, we asked students to go into our online environment and uh, upload the definitions. In the, on, look at these concepts, as you can see there, opportunity cost, deficit, and then write the definitions and the translation. And also look at the glossary there, if the translations that have been used are correct. So what you see there, what students did, those are the, what students have done. One line, the cause of suffered what what, the very, very brief definition that I got. So that was not enough. I, Again, again, so this is not giving me translanguaging that I want because they are in a written mode. They're trying to comply to the university policy to work with separate languages. Then we organize tutorials for, for, for students. I said now face-to-face tutorials. When they come for those tutorials, the first thing again we gave them flyers. Write down the definitions that we've given you. So they write down, they wrote down the definitions that we each of them, and then write the, the translation, they wrote the translation, then we collect the, the, the paper. Then we ask them now to present their, 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 their findings. You know, what, what is it that they, what is that, what present their definitions. Now, my, the, you know, I, I said to them, the first thing that they need to do, first we discuss the definitions in English, and then we discuss the, you can see the language separation there. Then we discuss the definitions in, in Estosa. Then with the vendor groups, I also do the same thing. We discuss in English, and then we discuss in, 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 in their own language. So what we got from there is that the definitions in, in English, well, like you see, you saw in the, on the on online environment, we only spent five minutes, five minutes, I think hardly five minutes, we were done with all the definitions. Students just said, no, no deficit, we're using the term deficit. Mm -hmm. Then I also did capital, I also did opportunity cost separately. No, deficit is one, blah, 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 blah. And those are def textbook text definitions. Mm -hmm. And then five minutes, we were done. Then we look at each other. I'm done. So yes, we are, we are fine. That's it. <laughs> then I said, okay, now let's do in this closet. Let's see now in this closet. 
what, 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 what is your understanding of deficit? Mm -hmm. Then, you see, translation does something. You are not working with a form. You are working with a meaning. Mm -hmm. Then the whole kind of thinking now, they have to find a form. They have to argue. And I tell you, for one concept, we spend 45 minutes to come up with a definition, to come up with, a, with, with an understanding. Mm -hmm. So what I will do here, because that's why I want to demonstrate how mm -hmm. translanguaging was used in that context, mm -hmm. that discussion. So I will show you, this is just the text, mm -hmm. but I want to just show you, to, to, to ask you to listen to the deficit. This is a, a close-up group, a close-up group that was discussing the concept of uh, a, a deficit. So what is important here, I want you to listen to, I will come back to the text later, but I want you to listen to the level of engagement. I know you don't, you don't understand closer, but you can hear some of the clicks. You can hear So it's Mandela's language, you know. <laughs> so you speak a lot of clicks and so on, so you can hear. But instead of students sticking to, to English only, we did English first, we moved to closer. But what happens from there, students just immediately move into another space, another zone, where they open up their own uh, space, where they can use their own discursive practices without, I mean, and in fact, in that space, I become a learner, because I have now to listen to them, to learn from them how they engage, how they do that. So I'll just play a few minutes, and then, then maybe we can go to the text. Less of something that you need or require, it can also be referred to as a loss. I think it can also be defined as a fact that when your inputs are less than your outputs. Yeah. yeah. But in all in all, it goes with short hate for us. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You, you seem to be, to, to, to be having some agreement in, in English. Yeah. But then in Kosa, what do you mean? So we can discuss this in Kosa. Yeah. 
imports and exports. Mm. Then they are more in, uh, import more. Ah, uh, import. Yeah. Than, That's cause no, of lies. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like uh, import. Uh, import more than Kumara. That's, That's a deficit. If we are, you, you, would you import more, more yeah. than I export? Meaning that you spend more. Meaning that I could spend more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay, let me just stop there. I just wanted you to have a feel on that because when it's written, it's dead words. We don't see what but you can hear how students were, you see they, although initially we said we were speaking closer, but I think the kind of closer that to them, they completely forget about me, what I've told them, although one student remember a bit on the way that, no, but they were closer. But they move into a kind of a language practice, Catholic practice, which uh, uh, this practice was never, it's never taught at university. It's, I think they learn it from, 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 from outside the classroom. They learn it from maybe schooling level. But you know, the way they're translanguaging, they're moving between languages, is so fascinating. So I, I would just want to show you what, what Oh, what is this? Okay. So you see, I just tried to color this. This is what they were saying. You know, in first when we started English, I described it as when you have less of a theme. Then the second thing you can hear is more closer there. But if, if I move further, you can see here, it's blue, it's closer, red is in English, it's, it's, it's English, but then you can see a lot of mixture there. Then again, you see the English is increasing and the mixture is going up, you know. Now, where there was a big a mixture, it's when now, I asked them, because they were confusing uh, loss, deficit, is deficit a loss or what? Mm -hmm. So the question is, you know, is it a loss or is it not a loss? The difference between now loss and, and deficit. Where now they have to apply their minds, what is the difference? Mm -hmm. Now, that's where you can see <laughs> the language activities that are there, you see. Mm -hmm. Then you can see here, I, I would say, like in closer, Africa, we have, then import, export, import. So, you see, this is a lot of linguistic creativity which, which is there. Sometimes prefix with the nouns, you know. So, so this is very fascinating. It went on the same way. I mean, you know, if, if I, if you can see here, if I can quickly go to, to the vendor one. Again, this is the vendor. This is the vendor one. The vendor one, again, I'm not going to play the cassette. The vendor text is the same thing. You can see a lot of, uh, I say budget because, profit because, you know, it is the same because. Mm -hmm. It's not that there's no because in our languages. In Kosa, there is a word for because. There is a word for because in vendor. In, in, in all these languages. But why? Because it's here. So it's not a deficit model. It's not that they are using these forms because it's a deficit. They are using this because these are linguistic resources to make an argument of what they're doing. So again, you can have the, some, some, some words are borrowed, like co compare. We do have words that means compare in, in the African languages. But here it's making a borrowing, a borrowed word and so on. So what we have here, this is the text. And to me, really, this is the this is trans language at its best. Students are not code switching. I mean, it's not just really that they're dealing with the codes there. It's they're not saying I'm deciding now to use this. I'm deciding now to switch to this. No, it's it's fluidly. Things are coming. Things are just mixing as they mixing as, 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 as they happen. So you can see we can go on and on with uh, with all this this kind of uh, you know. So I want to go take you through through, through all this. So. Now, it is clear from, from these tutorials that neither the home language nor English really is, is effective for academic literacy. 
Remember, our policies, our policies are based on the notion of language as a code, you know, official languages, where we need to use them. So the question is, if you look at what is happening, you know, my, if it's not, doesn't make any sense to say we want to use Iskosa for teaching. That's not what students are using. That's not what students are doing. Students have got their own language discursive practices, which are neither English nor, nor their, 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 their indigenous languages or home languages. So, so there's somewhere there in between. And if you look at that, uh, I'm analyzing those texts. Is this a proper academic text? That text, when you analyze it, to me, it's an, I asked some of the colleagues, it's an economic discourse. That is an economic discourse. But using drone from drawing resources from different languages. The arguments, the, the, the concept that are used there, the terminology that is used there, it is economic discourse. But it's neither English nor, nor African language. So it's in between. Students are drawing that. that, that, that yeah. So the, 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 that's my argument. That you know, people like like, like 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 there is an argument from some with the decolonization argument that we need to use African languages. Now the question is now, what do you mean by uh, uh, African languages medium? You know, mother tongue. So all those concepts, mother tongue, uh, home language, they are heavy loaded, ideologically loaded. What do we mean by that? Is there such a thing called really a mother tongue? In education, can we enhance that to that? So, in fact, Kanagaraja warned us that if we really emphasize much on that, we might find ourselves really going into what you call vernacular speech ghettos. Mm -hmm. You know, getting our language to a variable where they're just like ghetto, like they are not really being used. So, to us, I think really translanguaging pedagogy to me, it will neither be English only, or it can be English to some extent, or what, but it should be a pedagogy that enhances all the, the resources. Now, the other advantage, of course, that you have seen there, there's a lot of uh, creativity in terms of linguistic creativity, where words have been importer, you know, compare, you know, exporter. All those words, I mean, to me, these are the kind of words that we need for African languages. So I'm saying this, if we, that, that discourse of uh, developing African languages for use, which is a policy requirement, can only be achieved when languages are being used. So, because the understanding at the moment is that you need to develop the language first. And then when the, the language are objects that you can refine like a car, and then once they are ready, then you can test drive them. But languages are not like that. Language develop uh, academic discourse when you use them. So translanguaging is simultaneous. You use the language, at the same time when you're using the language, you are developing the economic of discourse. I mean, the, the, the discourse of economics, discourse of physics science, discourse of uh, law. So we, discuss, we are using them instead of you waiting that they will be developed and then there will be a time where we say now they can be used. So trans language helps us to do that. Of course, I mean, I just mentioned the issue of code switching, which is just an aspect of trans language that is useful. Then promoting the development of academic skills, such as agency, voice, you know, issues of, uh, you know, Multi-discursivity. We need all those kind of things that can be developed when students are given the space to, 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 to do that. So, to I think, like I said, they, to, to, to me, the development of African languages for intellectualization, that trans language can contribute a lot to that. But as I've argued, that uh, there is this variety which students seem to prefer. I've told you that some universities are. are uh, uh, transla translating materials, 24 materials into, into, into the African languages. But what we have learned from this, because we have a glossary for economics, which was put online, when we look at those definitions, the students were laughing at them. One of them was the word like capital, 
where the translator used them as a bull, you know, capital, it's a inkwonzi in Tosa. Inkwonzi means a big bull. Now students are trying to make sense why a bull and a capital, <laughs> you know, it can't be, the, what is the connection? But the standard language translators felt that metaphorically, money is a bull, it's a boss, you know, it's a, so it could be a bull and so on. So we find most of the translated work, translated by, 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 by academics are not really useful. So students are talking about what they call vernacular, simple vernacular. This is what they say. Students regard this, you know, they say they want what they've been using now, talking this. They regard this as, they call it simple vernacular, simple vernacular. They say we don't want that, we want a simple vernacular, you know. This is what uh, has been published recently in one, in one, in one article in the conversation. This, this lecturer here, Benin Miller, has also did a huge translation project for her course. And students <coughs> say to her, no, we don't understand what you have written. Your course doesn't make sense to us. We want simple vernacular. So the article was that simple vernacular translation make more sense for university students. From my, my group also, it came out towards the end of my, 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 my sessions, discussion sessions. Then I asked students, you know, the one was me just commenting there, that, you know, do you find this exercise help for helping you and so on? But number two there, students say, so the thing is, sometimes it becomes challenging because most of us are not educated in deep, deep closet. We just have maybe home language, anti-metric or grade seven. That means they're not taught in the standard yeah. which is being promoted there. Something that then they give us this and you go to closer website and it has got deep, deep, you know, which you have never seen. Mm -hmm. Then another one says, okay, they, they, then I came back again. Then another one says, like, it does not help sometimes because it is just deep, deep, deep. Then another one said, you know, Tosa is too broad. It's too broad. It is like, for instance, even Nase's Eastern Cape, is Tosa, Bacona, there are people there in Eastern Cape, you know, who use language, you know, which I can't hear. I'm a Tosa, but I can't hear when they speak the, the Tosa thing. You know. Then another one said, it's Tosa since the six. It's Tosa is difficult, you know. It's a, but if we can understand, you know, Singai understand, you know, if Singai understand, you can see now, Translanguaging is back in that discussion. If Singai understand, ngale simple closer, you know, SEC tetayongoku, simple closer that we are talking now, you know, they think what we are talking in that class, they call it simple closer. This is what is it, 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 useful to them. Yeah. So you can see the discussion went on and on and on. And then 17, they say, yeah, the closer that we are talking now, not most translators, what most translators use, mm -hmm. the professional translators, mm -hmm. they know the language very, very well. But sometimes they try to be, even in English, there are some people that use those bombastic words. They do not do that in this closer. You know, so we ended up with translanguaging. Where is translanguaging taking us to? So according to them, it's a, what, we, what happened in that class is called simple vernacular. <laughs> It's neither, it's neither uh, uh, English, it was neither Kosa mother tongue. It was their vernacular, the kind of language, a register, which they think is suitable for, for learning. And it says, see, I understand. We do understand this, this kind of vernacular. So in conclusion, so I, I, I'm, I'm saying, I'm arguing that uh, I think translanguaging gives us an approach which resolves the tension. That is often observed between students, heterogeneous life world outside, and what happens what happens happening in the classroom. Students, if the space created there, students can be able to, to really learn as a, as a, I mean, to, to use draw from their own resources. Secondly, translation allows multilingual speakers to intentionally 
integrate local and academic discourse as a form of resistance, reappropriation, and transform of uh, transforming of academic discourse. So it brings all those kind of things that I mean, creating their own subjectivity, you know, their own voice in the learning, you know, coming up with their own discourse, giving their own view, you know, to say that look, I have defined a term and I've named it because that's what we did when we finished. They gave it the name of those concepts. In fact, they rejected the what the translators had put there. Then asked them to give their own. So they know that they understand. They understood the the translation, the the, the tutorials, the concept, and then they name it in the way that is good for them, which then that makes it have succeeded. So again, I've discussed the issue of criticality, which is very important, and again, you know, all those other things. I think I was just say. So I should just quickly maybe to, to round off the the, the the challenges that I see is that we still really need more studies that can uh, investigate and develop translanguaging pedagogical strategies suitable for multilingual post-colonial context. Of course, the other thing is that, I mean, you know, we still debate with the issue of ideologies. I mean, the English ideology is very strong. People see that English is equal like, uh, you know, like success. And if you use English, it's knowledge. If you speak in English, then you are international, you are broader. So we still have those challenges, those uh, ideologies that are still very strong. Then we have the standard language ideology, where, you know, which is very puristic. Some of the language planners will not really look at my text, will just tell me what you are proposing here. So you can't, we need standard, standard clauses, standard vendor. We don't want to see those kind of things that you're talking about. But in terms of pedagogy at a high level, uh, what kind of forms do we need to, to, to promote? So I, that's what I'm thinking, pro translation does that. Of course, it's not everyone who is, uh, who is uh, very happy with the, uh, this is what I want to conclude with this, who is really acknowledging the concept of, uh, of translanguaging. We have uh, one of our very well-known scholar, Kathleen Yu. Kathleen Yu has worked uh, with, uh, with uh, Neville Alexander. Mm -hmm. Neville Alexander, uh, when he, Neville Alexander started his work after Ruben Island. Neville Alexander uh, lived, I mean, was spent, spent 10 years with uh, Mandela you know, in, in Ruben Island. In fact, he was like the chancellor of the University College of, uh, of Ruben Island because he was the one who was teaching here the doctorate and so on. Now, she's well known and respected in the country. And she said this, I mean, she said, you see, in regard to translanguaging, I'm still not convinced that we need to use this term as a blanket term in preference to code switching. Translating and interpreting. In my view, code switching convey a sense that this could be true or multi-directional, well, as trans, as in translanguaging suggests in the South African context, at least it suggests of, uh, moving from one place to another, moving from one language to another, and possibly from one African language to English. See, that is a criticism. She's not happy with it. So I think there's still a debate about uh, the concept itself. Some universities really have been embracing others to have those questions and that one. But you see, what is uh, very appears is that when it comes to pedagogy, she says no judge. She says, nevertheless, as mentioned earlier, if the term permits educational stakeholders to sanction the educative opportunities which purposefully code switching, which purposefully code switching offers, mm -hmm. when this may be a good reason mm -hmm. to make strategic use of the label for now. What is most important is the cognitive engagement with working with two or more languages or varieties simultaneously rather than separately and the level and the level one applies. And the level one applies to this process is to a certain extent less significant. So I think that's my conclusion. <laughs> Thank you.
now I'm coming to Sorry for being so No, it's okay. No, it's okay. But, uh, I think it's really a big challenge because yeah, yeah, yeah. education systems are really related strongly to forming an elite native speaker and writer who masters prescriptive exactly rules of speaking and writing. So this is particularly salient, of course, for written language. And written language, I mean, you know, I can see how translanguaging can work fantastically fine in tutorials and in oral context at the university. But what do you do when it comes to writing? You need to rethink the mission of the university, really, if you want to allow real translanguaging in writing, because otherwise, it is really the multilingual people who don't have English as a home language, they still have the triple burden because they need to master all the prescriptive writing systems <laughs> of all the languages, you know. Whereas an English speaker only has one. I think you have just touched on the, the on the. That's why I say there is a, there are key issues that need yeah. to be. You you are just raising a question that I in the presentation that I did in Birmingham. <laughs> I raised this thing to 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 Adrian, and uh, you know mm -hmm. that uh, how do we escape? You know it's a it's true that we the the notion of codes, the code ideology, it's a it's a problem. The case yeah. of that 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 is a yeah. problem. We know very well that those are inventions. Mm -hmm. It's true that we read, but we how do we live with that? Mm -hmm. Can translanguaging escape from those mm -hmm. the ideologies? So the general understanding is that, uh, in fact, I'm happy that uh, Lee and 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 and, 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 and Gashia in their previous book they also refer to this space of ideologies mm -hmm. as something that uh, really translanguaging has not really managed to overcome to explain yeah. the tensions that exist in languages in terms of ideological tensions. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we, I think, I mean, you know, from my discussion with, with uh, the Black Ledge was that, mm -hmm. no, the best thing, the, 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 the lens to look at this might be translanguaging cannot help us to answer those questions. But uh, hetero, you know, if we look at heteroglossia yes. uh, by Bakhtin, mm -hmm. because now Bakhtin clearly explained the tensions that is always happening in every language, whether mm -hmm. it's called traditional standard or what, whether it's a new form of translanguaging, it will have all these tensions. It will have a, a, you know, the centipetal forces that moves translanguaging maybe to adopt. Like we are saying, the moment we think that translanguaging must have a, a particular way of writing, so we are moving with a form that says there must be a one acceptable way of uh, translanguaging to be that should be a script of translanguaging. So that is a, a, a kind of centri, centri, centipetal forces, the forces that wants us to move to the center. You know, then again, you know, they, Bakhtin will argue that there are centrifugal forces that wants to be different, that wants to, to, to repair, you know, like I think criticality, that kind of thing that, uh, that uh, mm -hmm. the way is talking about. The tendency to want to defy the norm, to come up with something different and so on and so on. So I think whichever way, I don't see translanguaging moving to a point where it has got its own way of writing, then that standardization again. Yes, yeah. no, the challenge is exactly yeah. to so define standardization. <laughs> yeah. and, but that is actually already happening. So written translanguaging is already happening, but yeah. it's not happening in, in university context, but it's happening on social media a lot, all yeah, over yeah. the world. Uh, and, you know, 
colleagues even at UCT are studying at Anna Doima and has yeah, we're doing a lot of yeah, yeah. what is happening in this. So and and of course then you don't have complete homogeneity. Do we need that? <laughs> but why do we need why, yeah, but, that's, see, but then you cannot escape the logic of the standard, right? So why so okay, that's the question, right? Let's 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 stick a little bit with translanguaging in yeah, the yeah, domain. Yeah. Because what you then have, you have bottom up conventionalization. So some forms can become conventionalized to yeah. some extent. Like, you know, in 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 you know uh, pre-smartphone, mobile, or phone communication, you have the eight, mm -hmm. you know, that stood for the phono phonological sequence eight. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, yeah, like I ate, you know. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, that's not obsolete, right? Because now we have smartphones, so some people still do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that means, you know, also that this translanguaging will move and change very fast, faster, than standardized writing, yeah, yeah. you know, because it moves with technological development, it moves with new, you know, uh, psychotic leaders and social networks, etc. But it seems to work to some extent. I mean, the question is really to what extent does it yeah. work and to what extent do we need homogenization? Because it works fairly well on mobile phones, on Facebook, other social media. But you so, see, yeah, you are, I understand your argument. When it comes to standard, you know, yeah. when it comes to real classroom, because for example, the question is after this, yeah. where to now? There yeah. is a model here which I'm still developing, which I haven't put it mm -hmm. up here. Which, I mean, after all this moving to and fro, you know, all mm -hmm. these kind of levels and so on, mm -hmm. universities about at the end, students must be able to write something academically. Using. Now, how do we get to that space? Do, do we need to harness? Translanguage into a space where we can say it can lead to a standard form, or it could be like a form in its own, and then there's academic language, be academic language only. Yeah. But see, uh, I mean, that's interesting. It reminds me really of, <laughs> of the whole issue also surrounding African youth languages. So there's a lot of research going yeah. on on African youth languages, yeah. and it always tries to capture them from the perspective of a code. So, and it <laughs> always focuses on lexical items. But as soon as you've written your paper, this is dated because the youth language has already moved on, right? Yeah, yeah. So by the time you have published a paper, this has entered the mainstream, and the true youth language is doing something else. I told you something. And also, it, it it defies this approach of describing it because it's so creative and it's forever emerging. <laughs> so the question then is, you know, your translanguaging, are you not going to kill it really when you want to standardize? Yeah, that's the danger. <laughs> You see, once you want to yeah. start, do we yeah. need, do, does it serve its purpose? Because the question is, can it serve this? Is this to me, this it has served its purpose. Mm -hmm. It has opened a space for learning, space of engagement, criticality, creativity. Mm -hmm. It has succeeded. I mean, you need the end, I can say, mm -hmm. students have mastered that concept. You know? Now, do we need to really clean up this document and make it now an academic? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but as I said, that's a burden. <laughs> Speakers because then they have to know all the five different orthographic norms. Yeah. So I think it's actually easier to speak with English, you know. But English is unattainable to us. It's, huh? a, it's the pain, unattainable. Yes. <laughs> of English, yes, I know. Interestingly, that's also, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of monopolizing the floor, so please jump in if you have comments. Shall I wait
Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's really nice to see uh, here the students so engaged when they are using their mm -hmm. own language. And uh, But uh, to present this case uh, to the uh, to public, I think it's important to to show that there was evidence that they, they have a higher understanding of the concepts that they have discussed. So, so I think it would be great mm -hmm. uh, if it would be really important to show that this translanguage practice uh, help them to understand and that academic intellectualism is the term to use. So I wonder if you are thinking of doing it or you have already done it. But then again, the, the problem or the difficulty, challenge will be how to assess this, you know, um, how you yeah. understand. If it's done in written yeah. English, that's, that's the, you know, um, defeats the purpose of doing the translanguage itself. But uh, so yeah, I was yeah. just wondering. So yeah. first of all, the how so you said it was successful. Yes, it was su successful in terms of engagement. We could tell it was a high high level of engagement. But as a, at university, you have to show that uh, it helped them to understand the concept yeah, yeah, that they discuss yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Okay, can I take that quickly? You see, if you just I didn't show you this this definitions because this is what I. The baseline, I call them baseline definition of students' understanding. Mm -hmm. Where students really were, where we understand the concepts. Mm -hmm. You know, you can really see that there was a lot of confusion here. The shortage in the amount requested, the other one said it means to be overpowered or lose your or loss, mm -hmm. you know. So the, the, the initial definition understanding of this concept was very, very, I mean, very, very low. Now, if I show you the whole transcription in the other presentation that I did in Birmingham, I clearly show them how students move the shifts, the shifts in understanding from one level to another level, and how they go back and until finally they we come to a very, very high level of understanding where students can define the term in their own language, and then we go back again to the online environment. And then I ask them again, let's look at that definition again. And they all look at the first one that they all laugh. How can he do this? This is not, this is not okay, this is not correct. But before I ask them to look at that, they never saw that. So you see, I can show the development of, of I didn't do pre-test and post-test, but I think I wanted to use really a process approach where you can show how understanding evolve mm -hmm. until to the point where through engagement, yeah, I think, yeah. But, yeah. So direct follow up, because I was yeah. wondering about this as well, mm -hmm. because it is very often said um, in the UK, for instance, that yes. you know, multilingualism is a problem in the school context, so yeah. for instance, Teachers are very often of the opinion that multilingualism is an obstacle to learning because multilingual kids will have deficits in English. If you look closer, you find it's a class problem. It's people, it's multilingual kids from lower socioeconomic backgrounds yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, fare badly. Yeah, yeah. And not the elite multilinguals. You know, Rampton has worked a lot on this. You know, um, yeah. that, for them, it's actually not a problem at all. So I think it's a red herring to see it's multilingualism. The same, incidentally, is also said at SOAS, where it sometimes it's said, oh, students from um, black and ethnic minority backgrounds fare worse. And so this is not, these are home students, so this is not related to language. But then when you look at the socioeconomic backgrounds, the race factor disappears. So it's really class. You know, it's access to resources and it's home environment. Okay? Yeah, that's that's effective. So, I agree with you. Okay, so if we apply this then 
to your problem. It's a direct follow-up to uh, actually what Monica asked you. Of course, they, they get a deeper understanding when they have the occasion to discuss. Mm -hmm. But is it really a question of the language mm -hmm. of the discussion? Or is it more that they have the chance to be in an environment where they are freed from all these obstacles where they feel excluded, <laughs> that they then can discuss and, as you said, own concepts. <laughs> so to what extent is it really a question of language? You see, it's a language is just one factor. That's why I don't want to paint that mm -hmm. everything is language. Language is just one factor. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's just one factor. There are other socioeconomic issues and so on. But we cannot deny that language has got a role to play there mm -hmm. in terms of learning, in terms of engagement, in terms of really owning what one. I mean, learning is also social. You know, in a space where you feel that you have got confidence, you are able to. So all those yes. other factors. Mm -hmm. So what what I, I'm saying, trust language is not just linguistic. It's mm -hmm. not just to me is that it opens up a learning space where all these other things like I mean, your own defining your own mm -hmm. identity. You know, issues of for, for your own voice, your I mean, multi-discursivity. Those are all things mm -hmm. that happen in that kind of space. But translanguaging opens up those spaces which are owned by by, by students themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a question of language. But I understand really with the mm -hmm. point you are saying that you know one need to demonstrate what because this is the question that. So, the, so I'm convinced, <coughs> but yeah. that doesn't mean that everybody yeah. will be convinced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Especially those people who are yeah, policy makers need to be convinced. Yeah. Right? So this is what I'm just yeah. asking. You see, you see, in our case, in our case, because it's documented with all the kind of uh, you know surveys that the research done, that I mean, black students really don't engage, don't speak, and so on. This, of course, the fact that students were in this kind of space, mm -hmm. they were able to really, they were engaging, they were mm -hmm. verbalizing, they were arguing, they were so, that in itself. You know, was was an achievement. I presented this find this 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 this, this uh, recordings to a language policy committee meeting, mm -hmm. where the registrar was there. The registrar was there, and he listened to this thing. He said, "I can't believe that these are our students." Mm -hmm. And he went and called. They came with came back to me with the VC. So the VC said, "You know," he said, "No, I want you to play that thing to the VC, so that the VC must really listen what was happening." Those those the VC listen listen say, "You know, yeah, we can see that students are engaged." With a, in fact, just said to me, you must have all this whole thing, all this program to the whole university. I said, I can't. You know, I still have to look at the models and I can't just roll it out. Mm -hmm. I need to like to study it. We need to see how it can work, you know, and how it can be practically implemented. So, but I think with us, the level of engagement was convincing enough. Mm -hmm. But also, in the paper that I'm writing, it's a, and the other one that I published, I'm just trying to show how understanding evolved through the, through the, the, through the process of discussion. What I'm curious about is what they, the students will do uh, with that, the knowledge that they own now. They feel that they own now, because, mm -hmm. and uh, so, so yes. I'm, so if mm -hmm. with this ownership of knowledge, can they act? Uh, what do, what kind of action uh, action they can mm -hmm. take uh, in terms of career or mm -hmm. any other uh, domains? That's one uh, um, uh, thing that I'm curious about, and also. When they graduate and start their, um, uh, you know, in their career, uh, do they, you know, actually use this um, own knowledge uh, with the trans language mode? Meaning that uh, uh, when they graduate, so you talked about the, so what, some several, this, in this case, 
the, the health sciences. You see, all, Science, students, yeah. all students in the, what we may say, in the health sciences, they have to do Estrosa and Africans yeah. and so, English, so, so it's given. What to, so after they graduate and are, are out uh, in, the, in the society, when they are out in the society, mm -hmm. so uh, we translate, which is the code, that, uh, not the code, <laughs> the move that is what they would be engaged in when they, mm -hmm. uh, where they utilize, take advantage of that, the knowledge that they own. Yeah, you see, that's, that's, I think unlike here, you see here what I've seen, the research on translanguage, I mean, Birmingham where I was, even here, mm -hmm. and I think in the league and others, mm -hmm. they, 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 they move, now they're moving from the, because it's not as a classroom thing, now they're trying to establish how much translanguage is happening in outside the classroom. So Birmingham is running a huge project now around Birmingham. They they have got project says four cities where they are seeing whether trans language, what kind of trans language is happening outside the the. the well, the, I mean, they were looking at very special classrooms. Yeah. They were looking at complementary schools yeah. for heritage language speakers. So yeah. The, the second, but the second one. But the, the second one now is taking it out. But yeah. so, I mean, the first one, so it was not just any classroom, yeah. but it was very particular types. Yeah. So, so, so with us, so coming to your question, South Africa, it's a, you see, if you open the radio now, you watch any, 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 any soapy, local soapy, you look at the TV, our TV, you will never find a TV for one, one, one language. It's, you know, you are watching here, all of a sudden, this is Zulu speaking, somebody speaking something like Zulu. Another one, you know, you watch the soapies, trans language in reality with us is there. What of course I need, what I, after I've seen the kind of project which is happening in Birmingham and so on, is that we really need to find a way to be able to do a more scientific study of the translanguaging practices that are happening differently. But outside the classroom, I think there's more translanguaging done in the in the class. There's more reason to use it than you have. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 you need to. It's yeah. a strategic. You yeah. need to know that. Otherwise, you won't be able to survive outside there with your academic language. Nobody speaks academic mm -hmm. language except your manager when you write a report. But that, <laughs> I mean, you know, that actually, I think you know, who needs translanguaging are the English and Afrikaans speakers. Yeah. Clearly, they are the ones. You know. Yeah, but, for, uh, what are the least, you know, the least integrated. Yeah, you see, yeah. no, I understand. You know, you know, you know. For them, they need that. They need that because if they don't have that, you see, they, that's all. This most of the courses that are African, Tosa, and so on are for all students. But a lot of white students now are taking indigenous languages. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went to a hospital with students who are some white students, you know, with, with their practical classes, mm -hmm. and they were taught standard Tosa, standard Tosa. And they get there, they were, examining, they were examining one patient who was HIV. So the one student asked her, you know, what is your, what is your pain? You know, it's your pain, is it a... So means says she used deep, deep. You know, she said, you know, And say, what lady? She lost cup cup. cup cup. So the patient calls the lady say, hmm? Say, cup cup. cup cup. Then the other one said, no. Say, unenosia. Say une no see I say eh well dine no see. You know what I mean? Dine no see no see. Dine no see. Not it kapuka. Then from there she asked another question. In kungya kwinja, is that you know nuenweza, it means is it flowing? It's deep cause. Then the patient said no. Say nuenweza, yeah nuenweza. I said nuenweza. Then the other one said no, he said yeah flowish. 
He has flow wish. Say, yeah, uh-huh. well, he has flow wish. <laughs> so you see, you see the, it's, it's, what is there is neither English, it's neither, neither standard languages, even outside there. There is a research, of course, there's a paper which was published to see whether academic language that we are teaching in university is really working. That was in engineering, whether that is what's being used in the field. Mm-hmm. And the paper conclusion was that what you find in the engineering field outside there is not the standard that we are teaching at university. <laughs> but, I mean, that's really, you know, that's for any Africanist, that is really a very, very <coughs> important and central yeah. issue because these standards for many African languages were created recently. And um, so you have the notion of language, and African people have named languages, you know, yeah, yeah. before colonization, etc. But then with colonization came this notion that you have to have a fully fledged language, language system, yeah. and you have yeah. to have standard, and you have to have a dictionary, and spelling rules, etc. So in order to cater for the symbolic need to be on the same level with Western languages, got to all of this language planning had to happen. <laughs> but now the problem is it's, all, it's very good as long as it stays at the symbolic level. But as soon as you try to take it into practice, it, it cannot succeed. I learned this, you know, all the African languages I learned at university, and even in African countries, were these standard writers that nobody speaks. So you, so you walk about and you, you know, <laughs> you, you use these neologisms and people look at like, who is she? Where does she come from? <laughs> you know, so maybe, is, is it not time to kind of stop? <laughs> Using these languages as something more than a symbol? You see, that's why I said in my conclusion, I said the biggest challenge is the yeah. standard ideology. Yeah. The code ideology, yeah. which is an issue. Yeah. You know, people still want something coded. Then you have got standard ideology, yeah. which is a big challenge that we need to. So but you were talking about standardizing translanguaging yourself. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to standardize it. I don't want to standardize it. I'm saying, how can it be used? Yes. Yeah, no, no, not standardizing it. Okay. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not saying should we do No, that, no, no. Yeah. So what I'm saying, that's why I'm saying, if we standardize it, then we're coming back to the same thing of standard ideology. So that's why my, my proposal is what I'm called simple vernac. I'm saying this is simple vernac. So, if how they manifest themselves, I mean, they use a very, very nice uh, framework of moment analysis that maybe to understand those, we need to follow a moment analysis uh, as the people decide to use, if, as, as, as it happens. Now, for example, when students are using this form, so at that moment, what is happening? What is the, so maybe we can try to come up with an understanding mm-hmm. if we do those moment analysis and see what is it that, why are they, that is happening? Mm-hmm. Maybe in the end, we can say, these are the recurring patterns. Normally, this is what people can do, we can use them. But uh, I think my, the, the proposal that I'm putting on the table is that I think the intellectualization of African languages should be based on simple vernac not developing, recreating standard languages, but allowing the forms that are emerging yeah. in the academic context, that will be the register for each particular subject field. That's my proposal for, for translanguage. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a nice, nice note to finish. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. No, thanks. <laughs>